Welcome to Flat Church Lilongwe's Inspiring Sermon Podcast, where faith meets community. Join us on a transformative journey as we explore the word together. Stay tuned for messages that uplift and empower. Let's dive in. Let's hear that. What did you pray for and that you got it? Do you want to come here? All right. This is Letitia, my friend. Big breath. What did you pray for and what did you get? I get a toy. A toy. Okay, yes. you prayed for it, yeah? Okay, we mean prayed for it, not cried for it. You prayed for it? All right. Prayed for it, for a toy. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you for sharing. Anybody else? I saw a hand out here. Yeah, do you want to come up? Something that you prayed for and you got. I prayed for my exams when I was writing money, my exams were form two. I wanted to get A's and B's, and by the grace of God, I got A's and B's without a COAD on Amazing. That's awesome. Thank you very much for sharing. I know there's so many stories. I'll link up with you guys. I can hear that, what you pray for and that you got. Do we have anybody here who prayed for something and they never got it? Ooh. You prayed for something and you never got it. All right, come on up. I prayed for shoes and I never got them. Oh! <laughs> I think your parents are here, so. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> yeah, come on up. Uh, yeah, both of you come on up. That's fine, that's fine. Both of you come. Yeah, so many unanswered prayer. We need to change that, eh? <laughs> Yeah. I never got a toy mm, when I, I prayed. When you prayed for it. Oh, I'm sorry. But, mm. I never got a football t-shirt when I prayed for it. Which for each team? For Ronaldo. For Ronaldo. Oh, that's a good t-shirt. That's a good t-shirt. Maybe next time. Okay, last one. I asked God to pass exams, but then I... I feel so. Oh, <laughs> that is too sad. But <laughs> thank you guys for being brave and for sharing. That's amazing. Um, you know, because sometimes we had these things, right? Uh, there are prayers that we pray for that we receive, and there are prayers that we pray for that we actually do not really receive, you know, anything. But here's the beauty of the Lord's Prayer. The beauty of the Lord's Prayer is that if you're going to pray that, we know, number one, that it is God's will, that it is what God wants, and because it is what God wants, you know that it's going to happen, that you're going to receive it. That's like the beauty of that. In fact, the one giving it is the answer to that prayer. And, you know, when uh, the disciples, the people who were following Jesus, they wanted to learn how to pray because they were seeing Jesus praying, and they're like, we want to pray like you, Jesus. Can you please teach us how to pray? Which is amazing because most things we learn by seeing rather than by hearing. Most things we learn by seeing rather than by hearing. Okay, um, you know, for the next bit, actually, I want everybody to help me. Just stretch out your hand like this. Just stretch out your hand like this. And then turn it around. Yeah, great hands. And then I want you to flinch a fist. Just like go like this. All right, then I want you to put your hand at 90 degrees, which is like this. Okay, look at your masses, big masses, right? 
Okay, now I want you to open up your hand again. Yeah, then I want to put your fingers together like this. And then I want you to put your fingers on your cheek like that. Okay, and turn your around and say, that's a funny cheek that you've got right there. Yeah? Is that a cheek or a chin? Right? Come on now, what's happening? It's because even though I'm saying cheek, but you're seeing me doing what? You're going to follow what you're seeing I'm doing, right? So we learn more by seeing rather than when what we're hearing, right? This is what the disciples were, were seeing. They were seeing Jesus praying, and they're like, we want to be like that. So teach us how to pray. So Jesus teaches them how they can pray. Now, when you look at the Lord's Prayer, one thing that's very amazing about the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus directs his prayers to his Father, that every single one of us needs to remember that who we are praying to is not somebody who is very far away, but actually somebody who is close to us, who is our Father. So he says, our Father in heaven, may your name be made holy today. That's what Jesus tells his disciples to pray. Now, the beauty of the Lord's Prayer is that we know that the answer lies with Jesus. Because in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus says, My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your name be made holy. Let your name be separate. Let, let your name do not look like any other name. That your name is made holy. Your kingdom come. And we know that through Jesus, God's kingdom comes on the earth. Let your will be done as it is in heaven. So also let it be here on the earth. We know that that's fulfilled through Jesus. You know, he says, give us today our daily bread. Now, some of you are like, I'm not a bread guy. I'm more a cornflakes guy. Anybody like that? Yeah, I love my cornflakes, right? But this is not about the, your favorite breakfast. This is actually about the thing that you need the most. What is it that you need the most? Now, the answer is not the bread that you see. The answer is in the bread that we see because we know that who is the bread of life? is Jesus. Like Jesus is actually the bread of life. That every single one of us need Jesus. And because we need Jesus, therefore we come to him and he is ready to give us what we truly need. That we need Jesus. That you and I, we need Jesus. And then he says, forgive us of our sin. Forgive our sins, Lord, as we are also forgiven those who have sinned against us. That Jesus becomes the answer to this prayer because he's the one who forgives you. He's the one who forgives us. You know, is there a sin in your life? Is there something that you need to lay at the feet of God? Is there something in your heart that you need to come to God and say, God, forgive me for this? Jesus is ready to forgive you. But at the same time, one thing that we know about the Lord's Prayer is not praying about something that is going to happen in the world, but actually God's desire is that these things will happen in us, that we will experience God's kingdom, that we will experience God's forgiveness, that we will experience his will in our lives. That's the beauty of it. So God desires that you're not only going to pray this prayer, but he desires that you experience this prayer for yourself. Are you willing to experience God's kingdom in your life? 
Are you willing to experience God's will for you in your life? Are you willing to receive God's forgiveness? And on forgiveness, we know there's an invitation for us to also extend that forgiveness to other people. Forgive us as we are forgiven our debtors. Forgive us as we are forgiving those who have sinned against us. That we would be willing to let go of the anger, of the resentment. That we would be willing to let go of the things that we have embraced for, us, for ourselves. Why? We know Jesus being the answer. He forgave us of our sin. That Jesus forgave us. That he gave us the grace. That you and I can have a connection with God. That you and I can have a relationship with God, with Jesus. So there's an invitation for you. It's not just something, a prayer that you say. But the invitation is that God wants you to experience this for yourself. God wants you to receive this for yourself today in your life. That you can experience this today in your life. You have received papers which presents actually a hand. That's a, a paper hand. And the reason why you're receiving that is because you cannot pray without the willingness to receive from God. That you have to be willing. Whenever you're going to come to God in prayer, at the same time, you have to be willing to receive from God. That we pray with an expectation to get the thing that God has for us. That when we are coming to God, Forgive me of my sin. We are opening up our hand to receive forgiveness from God. That when we are praying, give us today our daily bread. We are opening up our hand to receive from God. So this represents a faith. This represents the attitude that we carry when we come to God. To say, God, I'm not just saying these words, but I'm actually ready to receive. And the good news is that Jesus is already extending his hand towards you. So we want you guys to take a moment. Take a moment to just write a prayer, you know, on those, on, those, um, on those papers. Write a prayer. You know, it could be a prayer of something that you want to see in your personal life. It could be a prayer that you want to see in someone else's life or maybe in our world or maybe in your family. Or maybe there's something else that you're looking for, you're trusting God to do in your life. You're like, I want to just pray this. You take a moment to pray. Or maybe it's a sin that you want to offer to God. You could do that. And when, after you, you have done with that, what we're going to do is that we have uh, these places that we put as trees on the boards. We want you guys to go, as we'll be doing a song, that you guys would go to these boards. We have one outside and two inside. You can go to whichever one you, uh, is close to you and just stick that paper on that wall, on that board, because actually those papers have sticky knots. Behind. So you can actually just peel it off and then stick your prayer there. And together we just want to trust God, you know, uh, together as a church as we'll be offering these prayers to God. So just take a moment to write a prayer. Just take a moment. Even if it could be one line, Jesus, I trust you for this, whatever that is. Um, oh, Jesus, may your kingdom come in my heart, in my life. Just take a moment to do that. Take a moment to do that.
Now, before we go and stick these sticky notes there, I want to just take a moment where you just close your eyes for just a little moment. Just close your eyes for a moment. You could be here and you have not truly experienced what it means to have God as your Father. You could be here and you have not really truly experienced what it means to have God's kingdom reign or be at work in your life. You could be here and you have not truly experienced the will of God on your life. You could be here, you have not truly experienced God's forgiveness. I want to invite you for you to just take a step where you can receive that which God has for you today. I want to invite you that you can cross the line of faith if you don't have a connection with God, if you don't have a connection with Jesus, and you know you're very far from Him, I want you to just cross that line of faith because on the, on the other side, you will experience forgiveness. On the other side, you're going to experience God's will. On the other side, you're going to experience God's love for you. You're going to experience God as a father to you. So, so if that explains you, I want to just take a, a bold step and just pray this prayer under your breath. Just pray, Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. Just pray that. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. If you know you don't have a relationship with Jesus, just pray that prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. If you have not truly experienced his love and grace for you, just pray that prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. If you have prayed that prayer, we want to pray for you. I want you to just raise your hand and we want to just pray with you. If you have prayed that prayer, just I give you my life. Just I give you my life. Thank God. Just, just raise your hand. If you have prayed that prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, we thank you for these brothers and for these sisters. We thank you, Father, for the people that you have called to yourself. We thank you, Father, for the people that you have invited to yourself because we know it's not good words that bring people to you. It is your work. It is you. It is your spirit who brings people to you. So I just pray, Father, that may you show your kindness to them. May they experience God's love. May they experience God's grace. May they experience you deeply. May they remember that they are truly loved in God, in Jesus, and that apart from Him, they are nothing. So we thank you, Father, for their life. Spirit of God, I pray, may you be an encouragement to them that they will continue to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's just give hand to the Lord for the people that have responded to Jesus this morning. Now, I want us to just take a moment where we can now go and stick those prayers on those boards. Um, so I want to invite all of us to stand. And as we're being led in a worship song, feel free to walk over and just stick those prayers on these boards. Let's all stand.
honored in this space because you are a good God. God who provides for us and you have been there for us in 2023. A God who has been protecting and healing. We're thankful for your goodness, Lord, that we have experienced. God, I pray as we be entering into your word, I ask for your spirits to be fully present with us. God, I pray that may you speak to our hearts, may you open up our hearts so that we can hear your voice and move into a place that you are calling us into. God, I pray that may every single soul in this space be more captivated by Jesus than anything else. The Lord, our hearts will lead more into what Jesus is inviting us into so that we can say yes to him. God, I pray truth stand out to us and that we can lean more into that this morning. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And before you sit down, I just, I just want us to read uh, this passage together in Esther chapter 4 verses 1 to 17. Esther chapter 4 verses 1 to 17. So the Bible says, when Mordecai learned of all that had, ha that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly, but he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend to her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hethak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has, to, has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends, extends the God's scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. 
I and my attendants who fast as you do. When this is done, I'll go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and have a seat. So we see great desperation in this story, like great desperation to the core, and we see it in the actions of Mordecai. Now, I need to catch you on in case you're wondering, why are we coming here? Why are we reaching here? And as I'm talking, I wanted to pay attention to like four characters. We have the king, we have a guy called Mordecai, and we have Esther. So Esther and Mordecai are related. Uh, uh, Mordecai is Esther's uncle. And then we have a guy called Haman. So pay attention, you know, to those uh, four, four names. Now, this story happens a hundred years after the exile. Do you remember that the children of Israel were taken to Babylon and they stayed there 70 years? Then they, were, they went back, you know. But there was a group of people that were like, mm, 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 Babylon is so good, we're not going to leave, we're going to remain. You know, so they remain. Just because somebody come into Malawi and be like, Hoo-hoo, I just love the home heart of Africa, I'm not going back, right? Like some of us have done, some of you. Okay, all right. So, so a hundred years, this story happens. And uh, the king, you know, was the king of Persia, this guy, we don't know his name, but actually it's called the king in the story. And the king... He was a drunkard. He loves to party. So he puts out a, he puts us a party that went for over 100 days. Like, Im- imagine a party that goes for over three months, right? This guy puts us a party. And what he does is that uh, at kind of towards the end of the party, you know, or the days, he says, I have a beautiful wife. I want to show everybody of how beautiful my wife is. So he says to her, come and dance in front of everybody so people can see how beautiful you are. And probably she was an introvert. She's like, no, I'm not doing that, you know. And, and, and he's like, do you know what you're, what you're doing? And she said, no. So he's like, okay, fine. From today, you're no longer my wife. If I'll divorce you, I'm going to find another wife for myself. So he divorces her. And then he says, okay, but now I want to choose the woman of my dreams. So what we're going to do is I want, you know, people to apply, you know, and be a part of this select group of people that I'll select a wife from. Uh, so people are like putting applications, you know, into this beauty pageant sort of thing. Uh, kind of like Miss Malawi, but they, he, he's going to find a wife there. And Esther was one of the people that applied. Now Esther was, you know, a Jew. And Mordecai was also a Jew, but they never disclosed who they were. So she applies and she gets shortlisted. And all the women that were shortlisted, they are put into one place, you know, being like taught all kinds of things, how to behave and stuff like that, but also being fed well so they look great in the presence of the king. And then a day comes and there is this like parade, you know, that he's going through. I think this happens in uh, Swaziland. Uh, you know, every year the king marries uh, a, a, in a different woman and he, he puts them all out and be like, I'm going to choose a wife for myself. So we kind of like, some of us understand what this is, you know. So he chooses Esther. He loves Esther. Be like, wow, she's so beautiful. So he takes uh, Esther to be his wife. Now she becomes queen. And, uh, you know, when Esther had become queen, that meant that Mordecai had certain privileges as well, her uncle, and which was really amazing. And one of the things, one of the beautiful things that Mordecai did was that there was a day, because he used to work, I think, on the gate of the king's palace, he overheard some guards that were plotting to kill the king. So when he heard this, he's like, okay, 
I need to let Esther know that her husband might die, and that meant, you know, we might also be out, might be kicked out. So the Esther kind of like, you know, lets uh, the king know about this plot, and the king's life is spared. So this is actually written in the books that Mordecai saved the king's life. Now, fast forward, there is the fourth guy by the name of Haman. Now, Haman, uh, he had grown up in command, and he became almost like the second in command in the land. Like, you have the king, then you have Haman. Uh, but Haman was, first of all, racist, but then he loved power. You know, he loved power, so he demands that every single person who comes in his office needs to bow, or when he's moving, going anywhere else, if you see Haman, you have to bow to Haman. So people were doing this, except for one person by the name of Mordecai. Mordecai is like, hey, my niece, she's the queen. I'm not going to bow to you. I'd rather bow to her, you know, but not to you. So Haman is like, who are you? You know, and then he finds out, uh, he finds that Mordecai is of a Jewish descent. So he's like, okay, that means all the Jews are like you. You guys are, are proud, so we're going to kill you off. Uh, and this is how we're going to do it. We're going to let the king put out a decree that every Jew needs to die. Now, for, for the king to actually say this or to do this, he needed to send a letter with the king's seal. Like the king's stamp has to be on that letter. And only the king had that stamp, had that seal. And Haman finds a way that he writes this letter, you know, that every Jew is going to die. And, and he steals the king's seal and he puts it on the letter. So now this is distributed throughout Susa. This is where the city they were staying, the capital. So it's distributed and everybody, you know, sees this. This is why that story says there was fasting, wailing, you know, uh, and weeping. Because people knew that they're going to die. And the way he chose which day they're going to die, he just like rolled a dice and be like, all right, six. One, two, okay. The sixth month, you guys are going to die. Like in six, in six months' time, you guys are going to die on this day. So he, this goes out. This is when now Mordecai hears about this story. So he says, I need to tell Esther because Esther, she's the queen. She can go and tell the king to be like, hey, can, you, can we turn this? Because in Mordecai's eyes is actually, you know, the king that has put this out. Um, so... Esther is like, yeah, I could do that, but actually it's quite dangerous because the king, you just can't go to the king if the king hasn't called for you. And if you just show up, you know, this king is not Malawian, you just get show up at their house, they have to invite you, right? And when you're entering, and the invitation is they have to extend this scepter to you, which says that, let them in, they're welcome. But if he doesn't do that, if he just looks at you and be like, hmm, that's it, you're dead. That's the result. You know, so Esther's like, that's what's going to happen. And then Mordecai says, hey, maybe it's possible you were born for such a time as this. You know, and then she changes her mind. And then she goes to the king. And what, what she does is that uh, she goes to the king and the king welcomes her. Praise God. And uh, she says to the king. So remember this king was a drunkard in love to party. She says, I have a party that I prepared for you. And I wanted to come to the party. And this guy's like, oh, for sure. You know, so he comes to the party, and every single person who was kind of like high up in command was invited to this party, including Haman, uh, you know, and then at the end of the party, Haman is getting out of the room, and remember, everybody who sees Haman has to what? 
has to bow, and Mordecai never bows to Haman, and he sees, he's like, you are the guy, I remember you, you know what, I know in six months' time we're going to kill all the Jews, but I actually want you dead tomorrow. So he instructs people to put out this massive stake that they're going to hang, you know, Mordecai on that, uh, on that stake. And he says, this is happening tomorrow. And they went and prepared that. Now, that night after the party, somehow the king was struggling to sleep. Like, it's, you're drunk. Come on, you can sleep. But no, he was struggling to sleep that night. And he's like, I need a good bedtime, bed, bedtime story. Can somebody read me a story? And then uh, this guy comes in to read him a story. And one of the stories that he reads to the king was a story of a, of a time Mordecai saved the king's life. And, Mordecai, and the king is like, oh, I forgot about that story. That guy is cool. What's his name again, Mordecai? Okay, let's celebrate him tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, I, I want that when we are waking up, everybody, we need to have Mordecai celebrated. And I know the perfect pe person who's going to do this and plan this celebration is going to be Haman. Now, remember Haman, that morning is planning to hang Mordecai. But because the king instructed, he said, hey, give a royal robe to Mordecai. Put him on a horse. Let's move around the city. And you have to be the one shouting, this is the man who saved the king's life. Let's celebrate him. Good. All right, king, I could do that. Right? So it's Haman moving around the city with the Mordecai. That morning that Mordecai was supposed meant to be hanged, he, Mordecai is being celebrated in the city, guided by Haman. Isn't that funny? You know, so the, just imagine the humiliation that Haman is now like going through at this moment. So this happens. That means the hanging one happened that day because he's out celebrating Mordecai, the very guy that he wants to hang. Then Esther, in the first party, she did not tell the king why she made up this, this party. She says, I'm going to get another party. So then she creates another party. And then it is at that second party where she tells the king that, hey, by the way, uh, Haman wants to kill me and all of my people, all the Jews. Now, first of all, the king is like, what do you mean you? Uh, and she's like, oh, oh, yeah, I didn't tell you, but I'm actually a Jew. What? You're a Jew? Oh, okay. Uh, but, you know, he's drunk. He's like, no, that's not going to happen. What we're going to do is that we'll make sure that doesn't happen. And I'm hearing of this stake thing that Haman has created. First of all, I want him hung there on whatever thing he created. So they actually hung Haman on this, you know, stake that he created. Um, and then, unfortunately, all of his family, you know, dies. And then his people uh, die as well. Eventually, the Israelites, the, the, the Jews are saved. Now, this is the only book in the Bible that does not mention God. Like, you're not going to find God or Jesus or Spirit. The Holy, it doesn't mention God at all. But in the story, you can see God at work. You can see God maneuvering things and that his plan is there. You see God's footprint, you know, in this story. But even though you're not going to find the word God. Now, I don't want you to look at Esther and Mordecai and think that these guys are moral icons because they were not. You know, there was deception. And Esther did not share that she was a Jew. Um, you know, eventually she reveals it. But, you know, she, she deceived the king. She deceived everybody. There's drunkenness and, and most of these things, both 
Esther and Mordecai are actually being involved in all of these things. But you see that even through human imperfections, you see a God who comes through and works out his purposes. Even right there, uh, you know, you see to be a God of, you know, who loves justice and goodness, that he is in this story. Now, I want to bring you back to the conversation that Esther and her uncle Mordecai had, you know, when they heard that there will be this genocide, that Haman is going to commit this genocide. You know, Mordecai comes to Esther and says, hey, by the way, you are well positioned to save your people. You're well positioned to save us. Can you please go in and plead for mercy with the king? And Esther made it clear to Mordecai to be like, hey, whatever you're asking me, it's actually between life and death. If I go in, I might live or I might die. Now, Mordecai points out to Esther to say, hey, just because you are in the king's palace does not mean that you are safe. Because yourself, but also all of us, will die. You know, so he says to her, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. You know, Mordecai says, hey, I want you to make sure that you understand the cost. You're thinking that. If you do not, do not act, there's no cost. Only when you act, and there will be a cost. But actually, I, wanna, I wanted to have a clear picture of this, that the cost of your inaction is far greater than the cost of your action. Because you're thinking that, hey, if I act, then I'm going to die. But if I don't act, I'm not going to die. But he says, no, remember, even you and your people, nobody is going to be safe. All of us will die. If you don't act, the cost of your inaction is actually far greater than the cost of your, act, of your action. And that changes Esther's perception. And, and, and she begins to see that, wait a minute, if I do not act, then my tribe, including myself, all of us will die. And that's when the shift happens. You know? and, and I was so drawn to the challenge that, Mordecai puts out to Esther, and I see like three challenges that Mordecai puts out to Esther in this story that even you and I, if we were to embrace them, we're going to move from a life of passivity and to start living a life of faith, that we're going to start moving into a life of trust. So challenge number one is being alive should matter more to you than being safe. Being alive should matter more to you than being safe. Verse 12 says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think because you are in, in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. In other words, do not think that because I'm living in this position of power, in this place of power, then I am safe. Mordecai is saying essentially to Esther that you are thinking of death because you think you're safe. But you start to think about life when you know that even your life is in danger. The reason why you don't want to go and do this is because you're thinking you're safe. So you're thinking of dying because you think you're safe. But actually you're not safe. And when you realize that you're not safe, you're no longer going to start thinking about death. You're going to start to think about life. 
when you pay attention and when you think about death, you're going to pay more attention to safety. But when you begin to think about being alive, then you're going to start to know that there is freedom to be had in this space. You'll be more concerned of freedom. When you think of death, you're going to be more concerned about your safety. But when you think about life, you're going to be more concerned about your freedom. That there is freedom to be had. And this actually shifts Esther's mindset and her perception that she moves from this cowardly girl into a girl who becomes dangerous. That she, she goes in and she's a, she says a statement, I don't actually mind. I'm going to go into the king's presence and if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. When you take a bold step for God, the very thing that was a hindrance becomes irrelevant because you're now driven by life and no more by fear. Death was a hindrance to Esther. If, if the king does not extend his scepter, I'm going to die. And that became a hindrance. But when she took a bold step of faith, the very thing that was a hindrance to her now became irrelevant. Because she's no longer driven by fear anymore. She's now being driven by faith. So she chooses to be alive. She chooses to be alive. She doesn't want to just be safe. She want to be alive. So the question to you is, do you want to be safe or do you want to be alive? Do you want to be safe or do you want to be alive? Because when you're concerned about safety, you are really just concerned about existing. But when you're concerned about being alive, you're more concerned about purpose. That your life, you want to live a life of purpose. You don't want to just exist. You want to live a life of purpose. There is so much more to your life, Esther, than you just living in the king's palace. There's so much more to your life than you just enjoying good food. There's so much more to your life. And some of you need to hear this today. There is so much more to your life than you just to exist. There is so much more to your life than you just doing your work. That there could be purpose in what you're doing. There is so much more to your life than you just living a mediocre life. That you can begin to be alive. Because that's God's call in your life. There's so much more to your life. For you to allow that behavior continue to destroy you. There's so much more to you. You could choose to be alive. You could choose to be alive today. Choose to take a step. A step of faith. Where you begin to live your life the way God intends for you to live. You can choose to take a step of faith towards your purpose. Stop just existing and start to live. Be alive. Being alive. Stop just being concerned about your safety. Start to be more concerned about your freedom. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Mordecai challenges Esther. Like, hey, either you're going to be safe or you're going to be alive. But actually, when you choose safety, you won't even be safe at all. You're really going to be safe. You're really going to be free when you choose to be alive. When you choose to be alive. So are you willing? 
to be alive. Challenge number two. Being a blessing should matter more to you than having a blessing. Being a blessing should matter more to you than having a blessing. You know, most of us love the idea of having a blessing. But most of us are not willing to pay attention to the call that comes with the blessing. You know, the call that comes with the blessing is that you would be a blessing with the blessing that God has given you. You know, the challenge from Mordecai to Esther here is like, just stop seeing your position as just something that you have that's good for you. You're just, that's you just getting excited about the blessing, but I want you to see the other side, that there's a calling on your life. And the call on your life is that you could use your blessing to be a blessing. That you could be a blessing to other people. That your position is no longer about like, hey, as long as I've got it good, then I'm fine. No, that's not enough. That's not enough. As long as I'm safe, then I'm fine. No, 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 that's not enough. The call in your life is that you would be a blessing, you know, to other people. You know, it's great to have something that benefits you. It's good. It feels nice to have something that benefits you. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, taking a step of faith means seeing the blessings that you have as things, as tools that God uses to make you be a blessing to other people. That God wants you to be a blessing to your neighbors. That God wants you, he wants you to be a blessing to your community. You know, we don't do a lot here of like, oh, we're going to have a year of like favor or a year of like that or whatever, right? We don't do a lot of that. But I was thinking a lot about like, hmm, I wonder what God is calling our church into 2024. And I was praying around that. And you're going to hear me maybe say this a thousand times, uh, you know, in next year. Because I feel like this is, this is the core of the mission that God is inviting us here, you know, in this city. And it's like in the form of question. And the question is, if flood was not in Lilongwe, what would people miss? If this community was not in this city, what would people miss? Let's make it personal. If you were not in that workplace... What would people miss about you? If you were to leave and move out of wherever you are now, what would people miss? If you were to get out of that school, what would people miss? And I think the danger is when you are like, I don't know what people would miss about me. Maybe people wouldn't miss us at all. And if we have no answer to that, we are just existing. We are not being alive. If we have no answer to that, that means we are just comfortable with having the blessings, but we are not being a blessing to this community. We are not being a blessing to this city. Are we willing to be a blessing? Are we willing to be a blessing? Because that's more to do with God's kingdom. You know, God's kingdom... It's in the invitation that our greatest call is not that we would go to heaven. That's not our greatest call. Our greatest call is that we would allow heaven to come on earth. And that we ourselves would allow to be a part of something that God is doing where other people can experience heaven through us. 
That's the call of God on our lives. And that's more beautiful. That's more amazing. So are you willing to be a blessing to other people? Are you willing to be a blessing? And some of us, you know, God has, has been calling you to use your gifts. God has been calling you into these spaces that you have to jump into so you could be a blessing. And we are like, no, I'm not too sure. I don't want to go in there. We are so afraid to take a step of faith. We are so afraid. And what I'm realizing, and probably maybe most of you know this, you know, what I'm realizing over and over again, that it's not really that we are afraid of failure, but we're actually more afraid of the fear of failure. That's what we're afraid of. We're more afraid of the fear of failure. Not that you're really afraid of failure. Most of us have failed. Some of us don't even remember the things that we failed in, right? It's like, yeah, there was some failure in my life. And the only way that you're going to defeat failure is by going for it. Go and fail. Now, I'm not saying we should choose to be failures. We're going to do our best and we're going to trust God. But if we fail, we're going to go again. We're going to do it again. We're going to allow God to do the impossible through us. So are you willing to take a bold step to go towards where God is calling you and to allow to see God at work through you in your life? Now, the craziest thing is that whenever you take a bold step for God, you always find out that you did nothing, that God did it all. You realize that God did it all and he just took you for a ride. So you realize. You know, and most of us have those things, right? Like, this is amazing and everybody else is praising me, but I cannot even see the contribution that I've made to this thing. It's, it, it's just God. It's just God at work in you. And we, when you're going to take a bold step towards God, towards something that God is inviting you in, you're going to realize that he just took you for your ride. And he did it all. And when God does it, it is actually beautiful in our eyes. So beautiful in our eyes. So are you willing to see God do something beautiful? God to do some goodness in the world through you? Or are you only just paying attention to the danger that's in front of you? God is calling us to be a blessing. You know, your greatest call is not for you to have things, but actually to be a blessing to other people. Living a transformed life is more about becoming and less about having. You know, what matters the most in your life is not the stuff you have, but the people you're surrounded by. It's more about who you are becoming and less about accumulating. And when we've got God's blessings. Are we willing to be a blessing? Because through that, God will begin to point out certain things in us that needs to change, that needs to look different when we are being, being a blessing to other people. When we are being a blessing, we're going to be embracing the reality that actually people matter more than anything else, than stuff that we've got. Now, there's a lot of us that do ask the question, what does God want me to do? What's God's will on my life? What's my calling? God, show me my calling. You know, one way that you can answer or you can know God's calling in your life is to pay attention to the blessings that you've got. Pay attention to the blessings of, that you've got and answer the question, how does God want me to be a blessing with the blessings that I've got? 
then go and do that. That's your calling. What has God given you? Talents. A house maybe, a car, education, whatever it is that God has given you. The blessings that you've got, use those to be a blessing to other people. Go do it. For God's glory. Because through that other people will experience a God who is good, a God who is kind, a God who is gracious. So that's challenge number two. Being a blessing should matter more to you than having a blessing. Challenge number, two, number three, last one. Having faith is a journey to be enjoyed and not a destination to be reached. Faith is a journey to be enjoyed and not a journey and not a destination to be reached. You know, you read these words like, you know, Mordecai that says to, uh, to Esther, and Mordecai says to Esther, who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. This is my daughter, Tembe. And I always think of these words, you know, like, you know, I always think of these words from Mordecai, as if are the words that were spoken into with great certainty. You know, Mordecai is not saying that, hey, I am sure that you are in this position for such a time of this. For such a time as this. Mordecai is not saying, I know, you know, God told me I know exactly why you are where you are at. But actually, that's not what he's saying. You know, what Mordecai is saying is, maybe, maybe you were born for such a time as this. Perhaps you were born for such a time as this. Could be possible. Who knows? Who knows that you came to your royal position for such a time of this, as this. And I always think of these words and I'm like, oh, there's a lot of uncertainty in this, right? It's not like certain. Are you okay, buddy? Oh, I'm going to get mommy. Yeah, she's here. Love you, boy. It's a bit uncertain. Like, he's not 100% sure. Why is he saying perhaps? Or who knows? Or maybe, maybe. Maybe you were born for such a time as this could be possible. And that somehow makes me uncomfortable, you know, because I think most of us want to see faith as a journey we reach. Either we get it right or we miss it. Most of us wants to be like, no, I want to be 100% sure. We don't want to feel like actually the spaces that you exercise faith is in situations of great uncertainty. That's where you're going to exercise faith. When you're uncertain, when you're not sure, when you're in doubt, Maybe you were born for such a time of this. And most of us are not willing to take a step of faith because we want to be 100% sure. We don't want to have any maybes. We don't want to have any perhaps or who knows. No, we want to be 100% sure so that we can move into whatever God is calling us. And some of us actually maybe even hide behind Christian words like, I am looking for God's will. I don't want to act. I, I am waiting on God. So I don't want to act. I want to know God. I want to be still and know that he is God. 
So I don't want to take a boat say I don't even want to move forward because we translate wait on, waiting on God to mean passivity, inactivity, and not moving forward at all. That means waiting on God. But I can every single time that word is going to come out like, no, be still and know that I am God or wait on God. Every single time that is going to come out, you have to read this story. For example, the children of Israel, they are coming from Egypt. They encountered the Red Sea. The Egyptians are coming before them to kill them, and they cannot just cross this sea. They would die. So they start to complain to tell Moses, why did you bring us to die? You want us to die here? We, you could have just left us there. We could, have, we could have continued to work and do whatever we were doing there. So they want to go back. And in that moment, God comes in and says, hey, be still. And actually, what, what he tells them first is like, tell them to move forward. I don't want them to just be passive, inactive. No, I want them to be active. I want them to move forward. So tell them to go and move forward. And I want them to know that they could be still and know that I am God. That the Egyptians they are seeing, they will not see them anymore. Because I will fight for them on their behalf. And what God is saying in there is that being still to know that he is God or waiting on God means to continue to trust that God is going to fight for you. It does not mean not doing anything. It means like, hey, we're going to move forward and we trust that God is going to pave a way for us even as we are facing the Red Sea. So every single time you stop trusting God, you are stopping to wait on God. Every single time you stop trusting and depending in God, you are not being still to know that he is God. So do not, wait, do not say I'm waiting as a way of running away from moving in, you know, forward. No, 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 no. If you're really waiting for God, then you're going to move forward. You're going to go. You're going to go and see God do beautiful and amazing things. Faith is actually an invitation for you to go on a journey. It's not, this is not about, oh, I want to get it so I don't miss it. No, this is actually, this Faith is not a test to be passed. It's a journey that you've been invited on. That God wants you to walk into this journey. So you're going to take a step. You might not know everything else. God wants you to take a step on this staircase. You just take the first step. Or where does this staircase end? We don't know. But one thing that we know is that if we're going to keep taking steps, we're going to end up where this staircase ends up. We're going to end up where God wants us to end up. So it's an invitation. So start taking a step. Because maybe you were born for such a time as this. And actually when you read this, uh, you realize there were a lot of people in scripture that acted on a maybe. You know, one other story is the story of um, Jonathan, you know, Saul's son. Jonathan and his armor bearer. You know, they're in a time of war. They're fighting the Philistines. And in the middle of the night, Jonathan was like, hey, let's go and ambush them. You know, and these guys are going to hike up on a mountain, just two people, you know, against a powerful force. But as they are going, you know one thing that they stood on? They say, uh, uh, Jonathan says to his armor bearer, hey, let's go up to them. Maybe the Lord will give them into our hands. What? We're going to act on a Maybe. Maybe, maybe the Lord will hand them to us, to, will hand them over to us. And sure enough, he did. 
maybe you were born for such a time as this. But are you willing to know that? Because on the other side is like, I don't know. And the only way you can know is to go for it. To go for it. So a question for you is, what does taking a step of faith look like for you? What does taking a bold step look like for you? You know, some of us, we need to act on that maybe. We need to act on a maybe. I don't have all the answers, but maybe the Lord will come through for, for me, for us. You know, if whatever, if your step answers the question, is this good? And you say like, yeah, is this going to bring good to the world? Of course it will. Then go for it. Go for it. Take that step of faith. For some of us, taking a step of faith means to forgive them. For some of you, taking a step of faith means going to ask for forgiveness. Oh, will they receive me? Maybe, or maybe not. But who knows? For some of you, taking a step of faith means finally saying no. For some of you, taking a step of faith means finally saying yes. For some of you, taking a step of faith means picking up that pen and starting to write. For some of you, taking a step of faith means going to ask for help. For some of you, taking a step of faith means stopping it. Where you tell yourself, enough is enough. I'm stopping this. Some of you, taking a step of faith means cutting off certain connections that you have in your life. So you can only rely on God. For some of you, taking a step of faith means trusting again. What does a step of faith look like for you today? Some of you used to say, I am tired. I don't want this behavior that I'm not proud of to keep holding me back. I want to move. I want to take a bold step of faith and say yes to God. There was one day I, I was out on the lake with two friends of mine. Their names are Sam and Colin. So we went out into the lake. Um, and this other day we chose like, hey, um, what if we were to kayak in the night? You know, we can see the moon or whatever out there. Let's, let's kayak in the night. And there was no moon that night. So we're like, hey, but we still, it's going to be fun. So we kayak, maybe like we started kayaking at like 9 p.m. or something. And we go like two hours out into the lake. And then, you know, we are like, hey, let's get back. So we are getting back. It's pitch black. And we are kayaking and kayaking and kayaking. And then finally we see these lights. And we are like, hey, the best thing we could do is just to go closer to a light. You know, so we go kayaking, kayaking. And now we've been kayaking longer than we, we went the other way. Like something else is not going right. But we can see a light. It's getting closer so, like, we get there, and as we're approaching that light, we noticed it was a fisherman with a lamp. And we're like, oh, man, it's not even, like, a shore yet, you know? So, we, we are, like, we are lost at this moment. We are so lost and done. And then other lights popped up, and we knew those are all fishermen out there. So, it's not going to help us to actually go with these lights that we are seeing now. And then we are, like, Hey, we can see other different kind of lights on the other side. It's probably the shore there. Let's just get to the shore, and we can figure out how we walk back wherever we came from or whatever happened, right? So we just did like a little turn, 
a little kind of like switch of direction and just kayak towards the shore. And the funny thing is that we actually ended up where we started from. You know, a small change in direction can have a huge impact on where you end up. You know, some of us don't really need to make massive leaps of faith, just a small tweak. You know, some of us just need to take a small step. You don't need to do a massive jump, just a little bit. And that is going to have a great impact on where you end up. What does taking a step of faith look like? What could it look like for you today, tomorrow, as you enter 2024? Just close your eyes for a moment. It's possible that you were born for such a time as this. Maybe you were put in that family for such a time as this. Maybe God allowed you to go and be in that company for such a time as this. You are overwhelmed at the moment that you are about to quit. Maybe you were born for such a time as this. You've been doubting yourself and harboring all these insecurities and you're like, I don't have it me. I cannot do this. Maybe you were born for such a time as this. Could it be possible that God is calling you to keep going, to keep moving forward? Could it be possible that God is calling you to trust, to wait on him? Could be possible you were born for such a time as this. Maybe just take a moment to just pray for yourself. God, help me. Help me to take this step. And some of you, it's very clear already. You already know what, what God is calling you now. Just, just lean more into that. Just lean more into that. God, help me. Help me to move into that. I've been scared of this project, but God, help me to lean more into that. What could taking a step look like for me? Step of faith look like? Just ask God to strengthen you and to help you. If you don't have faith in Jesus, if you have not yet trusted Jesus for your salvation, the boldest step you can take is for you to say yes to Jesus. The boldest move you can make today is for you to cross that line of faith and come to him. And he is inviting you even now in this moment. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to just pray this simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. Just pray the simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. The boldest move you can make today is for you to say yes to Jesus. Where you say, Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. Just pray the simple prayer. If you have no relationship with God, if you have no relationship with Jesus, Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. Now, if you've prayed that prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. I want to pray for you. Maybe just raise your hand. I want to pray with you and just pray for you. If you have prayed a simple prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. If there is anybody else, feel free to do that. Praise God. God, I pray for these brothers and sisters. I pray, Father, that as they have, they have entrusted you, God, with their lives, that they will keep on trusting in Christ for their salvation, for their walk. I thank you, God, for you love them so much. I thank you, Father, for there's no bodice move we could ever make apart from the one that we say yes to Christ. So, God, I pray may you be their help. And 
I pray for every single soul here, Lord. Everybody who recognizes steps that God wants them to take, that they will take these steps of faith. They will take these steps of faith and encounter a God. Because every single time we move towards God, we find Him there. Every single time we say yes to Jesus, we always find out that He is already there. I thank you, God, for every single person here. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. May we all stand as we worship God one more time.